This morning we're on this last section on uh, reconnect, talking about reconnecting for the long haul. And, uh, you know, I thought about long haul, you know, I don't know what, what you think of as long haul, but uh, this summer, you know, our, our granddaughter uh, moved to Corpus Christi with her parents, of course, but she moved to, to Corpus Christi. And, 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 you know, that's about four, four and a half hours from here, which is a little bit long, you know, for a casual drive. And my wife's kind of, you know, having some adjustment issues to that. And so to help with that, my, my son and daughter-in-law will call and, and do a FaceTime with, you know, m- with my wife and my granddaughter and so they'll set that up and I always know when that's what's happening because wherever I am in the house or the garage or outside or whatever I hear this sweet cheeks it's Grammy I'm so glad to see you how are you Grammy loves you right yeah yeah now I know that sounds kind of schmaltzy but when I hear it you know what I'm hearing is I just I'm just hearing pure joy. I'm just hearing pure joy. And if I see her face, it's all just pure joy. Now, now they don't post pictures up on Facebook of our granddaughter very much, but uh, if you see my wife around the campus and everything and you ask her, she will show you pictures to your heart's content. She won't be content. She has to keep going a little longer, but it'll be to your heart's content. But she'll show you pictures, and, and what you'll realize is that 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 joy is not just in her voice and on her face, but that that joy is in her heart when she gets to see her granddaughter and gets to visit with her granddaughter. Have you ever wondered if God felt the same way about you? Let's pray. Mighty God, thank you for gathering us here this morning, and thank you for being present with us. Uh, Come pour yourself out on us as we are in worship. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, a couple of weeks back, we sent out a, a survey to the congregation and, and got some of the results on that. And it takes a while to wade through all that kind of stuff. But, but there were only, uh, there, there are six big blocks of responses that came back in where people told us about uh, things about Bethany that they particularly appreciated. And here's the, those six, uh, the tight-knit community, uh, discipleship groups, missions outreach, music ministry, prioritization of prayer, and local community outreach. Uh, and then after that, there's uh, you know, a lot of smaller kind of groups and groupings and things, but these are the significant, large, significant groups uh, that came out of that. And it's interesting to me because when we looked at the demographics for our surrounding community, uh, we found that a warm and friendly community was one of the, the values that was prized highly, and the ability to volunteer and, and be active in the community was another, which fits pretty well with this. And so these are things we're all looking forward to being able, as, as things open up, being able to be more engaged in and more reconnected with. Uh, but what I really want to push on you this morning is, is not just about reconnecting with each other in the community, but, but reconnecting with God in, in significant ways in our lives. I want to take you back to John 15 remind you of this passage about the vine and the branches. I'm the true vine, my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, when you read that passage uh, in different translations, that word remain 
may become dwell, uh, dwell in me and I dwell in you, or abide, to dwell with us. So uh, abide, you know, dwell with me and, and allow me to dwell with you. Uh, and, and that sense of, of, of life coming together, uh, and that's what gives life to us and allows us to do things in the name of God. And then there's that last passage, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Someone was speaking on this this week at a conference I was at. And as they did, they came to that part about, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I've heard that all my life. I've, re- I've read this passage many times before. But it just struck me uh, how very real that is. That you know, if, if we don't abide in God and, and God's not abiding in us, uh, we can do nothing in God's name. Uh, and, and this person went in that and said, you know, if, if, if you don't abide in God and God's not abiding in you, uh, you, you cannot be godly parents. If you don't abide in God and God's not abiding in you, you can't be a godly spouse to your husband or wife uh, or a grandparent. If, if you're not abiding in God, God's not abiding in you, you, you can't actually give an effective witness to the faith. If you're not abiding in God and God's not abiding in, in you, uh, you can't actually go out and, and do good works in the name of God and have that be a, an actual mission uh, that reflects God's grace. If you're not abiding in God and God's not abiding in you, you can't find the deepest joy in life and and the list of nothing went on for like you know 10 minutes in this thing and it just it just started kind of hitting me you know that that how how powerful that actually is that the things that we want most in our lives and we want most for the people around us and the things we want most from the world all hinge on us abiding in God and God abiding in us now that's really not news in the church. The church has known this throughout its history and, and going way back has understood this and has understood that we, we need to you know, bring ourselves into the presence of God in some kind of a regular fashion or a disciplined fashion. Uh, very early on the different uh, groups and monastic groups and so forth would develop different ways in which they would uh, talk about it. This is how you live in order to place yourself in the presence of God. And one of the old ones is uh, the Benedictine order of, of monks. Uh, this is a part of the rule of, of St. Benedict. Uh, and, it, and it's a very detailed kind of piece of work. I mean, this is, I think it's like 73 chapters. Uh, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot there. Uh, and so we have this tendency, you know, to kind of get into these things and start developing lots and lots and lots and lots of rules. And, and if that sounds excessive to you, uh, just remember that, that you're in the Methodist church uh, and we have what's called the discipline. Uh, and it looks like this. Uh, and this is the discipline of the United Methodist Church. And some people just think of this as kind of the rule book or the law book of the church, and to some extent it is and has become that. Uh, But there's always been that sense of discipline within the Methodist system uh, of a proper ordering of your life to bring yourself in the presence of God. Now, let me be clear with you. When we talk about discipline, we talk about rules of life, it really isn't just about following the rules. It's about bringing yourself in the presence of God. Uh, Richard Foster writes about it and says... The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that He can transform us. They're they're the ways that we connect with God so that God continues to abide in us and we continue to abide in God. And that's what's really important about them. So don't get hung up on the rules as I'm talking through this this morning, but rather get hung up on the reason behind them. When we think about the things that uh, keep us connected with God, 
when we were working through our kind of reframing of the church's mission a couple of years back, we, we talked about four primary areas, and you've heard these mentioned before, uh, places that were identified as catalysts for spiritual growth and trans, uh, transformation. Uh, one was worship, uh, the gathering of God's people to remember who God is and who we are. Another was to talk about was discipleship, the intentional life, intentional, especially important, lifelong journey of growing as a follower of Jesus. And we talked about service, uh, putting the faith we profess into concrete action by joining in God's work in the world, and then generosity, joyfully and faithfully supporting Christ's ministry financially as a response to God's generosity to us. So these were different things we talked about as, as ways in which uh, we as the body remain connected with God. And, and, and if you just take those four and are intentional about those four, that's a good starting place. That's a really good starting place. But let me encourage you to also consider the possibility about maybe developing a, a, a personal kind of rule of life for yourself. Uh, when I was in seminary, we were encouraged to do this. We actually had to get this and, and write it out and turn it in. You know, it was like an assignment. You know, you have to have a rule of life you're going to live for, for for this part of the year. And so we had to do that. And then we had to document how we were living into that. Were we actually doing it? And then we had to write a paper on how that had affected our life. Now, the interesting thing is that was a lot of work. Uh, and most of us grumbled a lot about it. But the truth is we, we really valued that in that time because uh, the school I went to was uh, pretty rigorous and uh, it was rather stressful for a lot of us and uh, some of you who've done graduate work before. And, uh, and in the middle of that, you know, when you're stressed out, you're not always really at your best. And so it was really helpful to have something that helped ground us and remind us who we were uh, and connect us to God. And so we, we, we actually found that to be valuable. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never thought about that, to think about the possibility of developing a personal rule for your life. Maybe it's just going to reflect those four kind of group activities that we talk about, you know, worship, and service, discipleship, generosity, or, or maybe there's going to be more to it than that. When, when Wesley began working uh, his ministry, uh, the original version of the discipline was called the general rules and they were the the general rules for the united societies um, that was the original first name of this gathering of small groups that wesley had come up with and, and you've probably heard those before um, usually phrased as this do no harm do good and stay in love with god what you need to know is that's a very truncated version of what Wesley originally started with, which really looked more like this. Because, you know, of course, one of the things in that day and age was, you know, words were, you know, lots of words were always considered better. Uh, but, but actually what he writes is, is fairly specific to his societies, the general rules. Uh, and, and so I just want to give you a little taste of that, these, these three. When he says do no harm, that, that doesn't mean just you know, don't hurt somebody's feelings. Uh, he gets pretty specific. He says, uh, first, do no harm, avoiding evil of every kind, especially that which is most generally practiced. Oh, man. So he's going to be meddling with folks here a little bit. Uh, taking of God's name in vain. Is, is, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, profaning of the day of the Lord by, by working and so forth on it. Uh, drunkenness. 
fighting, quarreling, brawling. Now remember, he's writing this to the societies and talking about this being generally practiced. So obviously, you know, if he's stepping on your toes a little, just understand he's been stepping on our toes for a long time. Uh, the use of many words in buying or selling so as to be deceptive. Buying or selling of goods that have not paid the duty, which we would talk about as the tax. Uh, uh, charging unlawful interest rates on things. Uncharitable or unprofitable conversation. Particularly speaking evil of magistrates or ministers. We like that one. Uh, doing to others what we would not that they should do to us. Doing what we know is not for the glory of God, such as, now he really gets to meddling, the putting on of gold and costly apparel, the taking of such diversions as cannot be used in the name of the Lord Jesus. Anybody watch the game yesterday? Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, the, the, the singing of those songs or reading of those books that do not tend to the knowledge or love of God, softness or needless self-indulgence, laying up treasure on earth, barring goods without the probability of repaying, yeah, I mean, these are all things that he, he lays out pretty specifically. These are things that are expected of us, you know. And then he talks about doing good uh, of every kind as far as possible to all. Uh, doing good to their bodies, the ability that God gives us by giving food to the hungry, clothing the naked, uh, visiting or helping those that are sick or in prison, doing good to their souls by instructing, reproving, exhorting all that we talk with, uh, doing good especially to them that are of the household of faith or that wish to be of the household of faith, and, and by all diligence and frugality, uh, run with patience the race set before them, denying themselves, taking their cross daily, uh, submitting to the reproach of Christ to bear the struggles of the world. Finally, thirdly, stay, we usually say staying in love with God. Wesley would say attending on all the ordinances of God, which is the public worship of God, the ministry of the word, either read or expounded, the supper of the Lord, family and private prayer, searching the scripture, and that bane of all Methodists, fasting or abstinence. Uh, I mean, he encouraged people to participate in these. So he was giving some fairly specific instructions to those early groups. And, and at the end, he kind of wraps this up. And he said, uh, these are the, the general rules of our societies of which we are taught of God to observe, even in his written word, which is the only rule and the sufficient rule, both of our faith and practice. And all these we know his spirit writes on all truly awakened hearts. I mean, he's really trying to, to, to push us to think about how we're living how we're living. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ in the world that we live in? When we were writing that personal rule way back when, there were some kind of basic uh, guidelines that were given to us about that. Uh, first was that you put Christ at the center of your rule. And I know that sounds like kind of a duh statement, but, but the idea was to be sure that that was the main thing you were, you were striving for. Uh, engage in prayer. Find the type and rhythm that works for you. Not, not what works for somebody else, but what works for you. Uh, approach your work as part of your spiritual life rather than something divorced from it, uh, which is so easy for many of us to do. Study, uh, have a regular practice of learning more about God and Scripture. Uh, spiritual companionship, committing yourself to regular companionship and community on the journey. Some of you do this through your Sunday school classes and, and grow groups here. A care of your body, taking care of yourself as a spiritual practice, uh, taking care of this temple that God has given you. Reaching out and caring for others and the world as a spiritual practice, 
and practicing hospitality, finding ways to be a gracious presence in the world. Uh, different ways of, of you know, reaching out and, and sharing these kinds of things uh, with others around us as a way of sharing God's grace. So all of these are different kinds of pieces to shape that personal kind of rule. And, and here's the thing, as you do that, if you've never done anything like this before, the main thing I want you to do is be gracious with yourself. Um, start with something that's easy. Start wherever it's simple for you. And realize that there's going to be days you're going to miss. Uh, one of my practices that I've been in is, is uh, J.D. Walt, who does the Seedbed Text, always puts together a group that fasts. And, and one of the things he did early on with that one, the first time I, I was going through this with the group, was uh, we were fasting for 40 weeks in a row on Wednesdays. And one of the things he said is, you know, if you miss a Wednesday, you know, if something comes up in your life or something's happening, or if you just forget, it's okay. Because this isn't about keeping the rules, it's about being in contact with God. So be as gracious with yourself as God is gracious with us. So hear that as you work through. The point of this is not to, to follow all the rules exactly. The, the point is to be in contact with God. So uh, some things that I, I, I learned you know, about myself going through this was that, that certain things served me well and worked well for me. Uh, so part of my personal rule is I start every day with, with a time of morning prayer. Uh, I do this while I'm having my first cup of coffee in the morning because, frankly, before I have my first cup of coffee, I'm really not very good company. Uh, you don't really want to be around me that much. And, and also, um, I've learned what uh, Andrew Forrest suggested to his congregation up in Dallas, which is, why should I start my day with news of the world instead of news from God? And so every morning I go through this little ritual, has some opening verses, a time for confession of sin. Uh, the invitatory is basically inviting God to be in my day, uh, a reading of a psalm. There's, I use the seedbed daily text as my daily reading. That's followed with the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, a time of intercession where I lift up uh, the needs of people around me and, and close to us, and then the collect to lift up the whole world before Him, and then a time of benediction. This, that whole thing takes maybe 20, 25 minutes. It's not real long, but it starts my day off with me saying, I'm a child of God. It reminds me who I am and who I belong to, so that now when I receive the news from the world, I receive them as a child of God instead of a child of the world. And believe me, that makes a huge difference, especially with some of the weirdness we have gone through in the last 18 months, to remember who we are in the middle of this. At the end of each day, I close with the time of an examination of conscience. Uh, first off, uh, remembering and, and lifting up in prayer, you know, that I'm going to be in the presence of God. Come Holy Spirit, be with me. And then looking at my day with gratitude so that this whole thing goes from a place of remembering what God has done for me. And the amazing thing is that I've, I've learned that even in the worst of days, there's always something that you can be grateful for. I can remember sitting in the sky bridge between Methodist Hospital and the parking garage the night my sister died and getting a phone call from my wife and talking with her and praying with her. And I was so grateful for that moment that even in a day like that, God reached out through her to lift me up. Even in the worst of days, there is something that you can lift up. And then remembering, remembering 
the good things that God has done for you. You ask the Holy Spirit to help you go back and review your day and look at it. Where have, I, where have I done well? Where have I not done well? What's been like? And then take all of that kind of information and celebrate the points where I've done well. Uh, ask forgiveness for the points, where I, the places where I've fallen down. And, and ask for help uh, that I might do better the next day. Remembering that all this is wrapped in a, in a time of gratitude and time of prayer. So that I don't do this from a place of being nervous about what somebody sees, but rather from the place of, of being with the God whom I trust to love me even when I don't do so well. So it's all done from that point of grace. So those are, those are daily piece, kind of pieces. And then, uh, like many of you, I have a small group I meet with. Um, this is a little card about discipleship bands. Uh, a band is like a small group, except it's smaller, uh, and it's usually a, a more intimate kind of setting. The questions start off sounding very familiar to what some of you may be using in your grow groups. Uh, how is it with your soul? How are you doing with God? How is your relationship with God going? What are your struggles and what are your successes? And how might the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures be speaking into your life at this point? And then we start to meddle, okay? Do you have any sin that you want to confess to the rest of the group? Not, not because you need to do that to be forgiven, but because sometimes we just need to get that stuff out in the open to deal with it. And then we get really, really meddling. Are there any secrets or hidden things you would like to share? Uh, that one you really need to be with a group that you trust, right? But here's the thing. Secrets are what causes so much dysfunction in our lives. And when you have a group that you can bring those out and share them with, what an amazing place of growth that can become. Those are part of my rule for life and how I live. Yours may look a little different. But the point is, is to, to have a pattern of connecting to God in a powerful way. Because, see, we're, we're not just in this for, you know, casual kind of business. We're in this to allow God to be at work in us. John Wesley would talk about salvation this way. My salvation, I mean, not barely, according to the vulgar notion, deliverance from hell or going to heaven, but a present, meaning now, current, deliverance from sin a restoration of the soul to its primitive or original health, the renewal of our souls after the image of God in righteousness and true holiness and justice, mercy and truth. And yes, that's a high bar. That's a high bar. Matter of fact, he, he talked about being perfected in love. Here it means perfect love. It, it, it's love excluding sin, love filling the heart, taking up the whole capacity of the soul. Man, that's a challenge, isn't it? And what I want to warn you about is that, that this is not about what you're going to do. This is about placing yourself in the presence of God so that God does this work in you. A couple of years ago, uh, J.D. wrote these words which have just really stuck with me. He said, the Christian life, or as Paul will describe it to the Colossians, the life hid with Christ in God is not difficult it is impossible. Thanks, J.D. Maybe this is our biggest problem. We think it is difficult, and because of this, we resolve to try harder. When we come up short again and again, we consider it too difficult, 
and settle back into a life of easy believism, cheap grace, and self-satisfied, mediocre, compromised existence. Now, at this point, he was walking all over my toes. I don't know about you. The Christian life is not difficult. This would be to evaluate it on our terms. The Christian life is impossible. It does not require more effort on a human level. It requires the movement to an eternal level of living. Jesus' invitation to us is not meant to elicit more resolve, but deeper surrender. I'll be honest with you, that's one of the places I struggle the most. Because I was raised to try harder, right? I was raised to try harder. But actually, this isn't about trying harder. It's about surrendering more deeply. In 1968, I was baptized in the Frio River outside Lakey, Texas. It was the first time in my life that I really think I came to understand that God might love me. But it wasn't the end of the journey. It was just the starting point. And I wrestled with that through my life. In 1986, I went on a walk to Emmaus. Many of you have done that. I listened as people shared about how this was the first time they had understood or heard that God loved them, and, and that was kind of stunning. But as I began to lead those walks, what I began to understand is hearing that news and internalizing it are two separate things. And I was still working on that, going from knowing about it to actually knowing it. In 2015, I went to the first New Room Conference. And had this amazing experience of the presence of God in the group of this, this group that was worshiping. And to be there and to start to, to get a glimmer of this is what Wesley was talking about. This is what he was doing when he talked about love excluding sin, driving out everything else so that it's, it's just God. And in 2019, following the general conference and, and all the hoopla from that, at the 2019 gathering of the new room, we came to worship in this space, and that night we turned the lights down and came to a time of prayer. And I can remember laying face down on those steps going up to the chancel and just praying, God, I just can't do this. I, I just can't do this. You're going to have to do it. And hearing God say, finally, <laughs> finally. All this reconnecting is to bring us into the presence of God. It's to invite God to dwell in us and to give ourselves to dwell in Him. It's not meant to try harder, but to surrender more deeply. Listen again, listen again. I'm the true vine, my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain, abide in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. You must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are gathered up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Abide in me, abide in me, and let me abide in you. When we reconnect with God, you suppose it's, it's something like this, you know? Oh, this is God here. I love you so much. I'm so glad to see you. Hey, Peter, Gabriel, come over here. Come on. Look, this is, this is my son Neil right here. Isn't he beautiful? This is just wonderful. I love you so much. When we reconnect with God, when we abide in Him and He abides in us, God's joy is poured out in us and our joy is made complete. Pray with me. Mighty God, here we are, your children. We've come to tell you how much we love you. We've come to open our lives to you and invite you to be in us and let us be in you. Let your joy be poured out on us that we might know your joy in us and our joy might be complete. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.